Series. How does that sound? Sounds unbelievable. I mean, that's unbelievable. This, this is so much fun. Unbelievable, man. It's, it's just unbelievable. I don't even know what's going through my head right now. Just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I have no idea. It's been unbelievable, though. Oh, uh, unbelievable. Good morning, and welcome to episode 312 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller, who is typing, and also Zachary Levine, who is our man in Boston. Uh, he has been covering the, the ALCS in Boston. He'll be at the World Series in Boston, and he's been filing some stuff for us from there. So we're going to talk about the World Series a little bit and and we invited him on to to join us in doing that. So hello, Zachary. How are you guys? Okay. Uh, so my feeling about this series is that it seems like it will be a, a good series, and it's a matchup between excellent teams, and it's not really that well suited to analysis of of the series before it starts. At least that's been my... My thought, I've kind of done a couple radio and podcast things today where I've talked about the series, and they're just two really good teams who don't have a weakness, really. They're just the possibly the best teams in baseball, probably the, the best teams in each league. They are strong in pretty much every, every facet of team building. Um, and so you can kind of break down the matchup and maybe how they stack up against each other, but there's not as much to pick apart, I feel like, as there has been in some previous series where you can say, well, the Tigers are, you know, a great pitching team and they've got a good offense, but man, they really can't play defense and they really can't run the bases and that could come back to bite them and it, or it did come back to bite them. With the Cardinals and with the Red Sox, uh, someone will win, but probably just because the other team was was better not because they were that that bad at something do you have that feeling when you think about that series either of you yeah i i think that the what we're going to take out of the end of this is really going to be sort of more a referendum on how the team was built rather than anything that happened this series if if the cardinals win it will be the Cardinals way prevailed with, you know, drafting better than anybody and, and just having a factory down in the minor leagues to develop talent. And if Boston wins, it, it'll be the repairs that they put into this team in the off season about how nobody gave them any credit for the signings they made and uh, just how you can go from uh, a last place kind of team to, the best team in the better league and then the world series winner in, in a season. But, but I think you're right that baseball wise, just if you look at the 25 against 25, there's, uh, there's not a huge difference here. I mean, Boston is, is favored. They were the better team in the, the slightly better league. Uh, they have the home field advantage there. Uh, I mean, uh, I looked at the, the gambling odds on it. They're uh, uh, noticeable, but, but not huge favorite. But uh, it it certainly wouldn't be an upset if the Cardinals won or anything. Mm -hmm. It actually seemed. What do you remember? What the odds were exactly? The Vegas side. They, it seemed a little actually more lopsided than I would have thought. Just because it seems very close to me. Uh, like to me, it's just yeah. kind of 
the tiebreaker is is home field advantage and the fact that the Red Sox are the AL team, and I kind of give the edge to the AL team if if all else is fairly equal. Um, so for me, when people have been asking, I've said Red Sox in seven just because I feel like the teams are really evenly matched. But the fact that Game Seven is in Boston and you know, maybe the, the Red Sox are a little bit better in certain ways defensively or, you know, they're just the AL team and they face tougher competition to get here. And, and so their excellent numbers have been put up against slightly tougher competition than the Cardinals' excellent numbers. Um, but that Yeah, I, mean, I, have, I have the odds here. It's, uh, Boston is minus 130, that, uh, wager 130 to win 100. And the Cardinals are plus one ten, wager a hundred to win one ten. So it's a it's a decent spread, um, but I mean it's not. Uh, it, I, you would never use. I would never use the word upset mm-hmm. uh, if uh, if the Cardinals became, I guess, both the fourth straight NL team to win a World Series, and I think also the fourth straight underdog that the AL team has been favored in. Uh, in each of the last three, and, and the the Giants, Cardinals, and Giants won uh, won all three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I just want to. I, I agree that the that the Red Sox are you know a, a very good team, and in fact, one of the things I wanted to ask um, is whether we're they're not getting enough. I mean, whenever we bring up the, the Cardinals on this podcast, we talk about how uh, incredible their 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 outlook looks beyond this year that they're like you know they seem to be like sort of an nl dynasty in the making and i wonder if it's actually uh if if the red sox should be discussed in the same way because they also have a you know a phenomenal farm system and a you know a phenomenal front office um there's a mouse um so uh anyway but beyond that i mean it does seem like the starting rotation it is weaker than you expect a World Series team's starting rotation to be, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also it's a little bit older if you wanna if you wanna be having that discussion. Like uh, if you think about, I mean, Lester's not old, but it's not like you look at that rotation and, and think about what it could be in a few years the way you do with Boston, I guess, or the way you do with St. Louis. I guess if you start putting. Uh, putting Webster in there and, and uh, De La Rosa, if you're a fan of him or, or whoever you want to put in there, who's sort of on the periphery of this rotation, you can start to, to do that. I just think that, that St. Louis on the pitching side is, is much more set up for the next few years. Yeah, I, I do feel like the, the Cardinals have the edge there. I don't know if it's as significant as I initially thought it was when you kind of look I mean the Cardinals clearly have the best starter in the series and you could make the case that they have the the second best starter in the series if you if you're you know a believer in my in what Michael Waka has done and it, it's hard not to be having watched it um but then on on kind of the the back end I feel like this the Red Sox make up a little bit of that in that Lance Lynn Joe Kelly is is fairly shaky not that not that PV and either Lackey or, or Buckholtz, whoever you want to put in that 3-4 spot, because now it, it looks like Lackey will be starting game two. Um, I'd probably take the 3-4 that Boston has over over St. Louis's 3-4. And I, I just kind of, I mean, we've wrestled on this podcast before about how how much precedence to give teams that have the ace or have the the better rotation because of 
the research that that I did with Colin last year that didn't really seem to show any edge for the team with a with an ace or with a top heavy rotation and I, I you know it's 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 hard it certainly seems like you should give an edge to the team with the better starters if the other other aspects of the teams are fairly equal um but it didn't really show up in the numbers so much and then even if you go by what's happened recently which isn't the greatest analysis but we we just saw Boston beat Detroit, despite Detroit having probably the best rotation, which isn't to say that they hit Detroit starters because they didn't, but they managed to to kind of keep it close and beat the bullpen. And, uh, and so they were able to counteract that advantage. And then the Cardinals won three out of the four games that, that Zach Greinke and Clayton Kershaw started uh, sort of the, the same way, kind of keeping it closer in the last game, kind of piecing runs together and getting some lucky bounces and everything going their way. But um, that was that was my initial thought when I was sat down to force myself to make a prediction was, you know, you kind of like the team with the better starting pitchers. But ultimately, I, I decided against that line of thought. Yeah, it does feel like if you actually went back uh, through all the postseason series so far this year, and just looked at every game to see how often the better starting pitcher won, you would actually, like, it feels like you would get a losing record for the better starting pitcher. Mm -hmm. Which obviously is not, I mean, that's not to say that it's worse to have the better starting pitcher, but we probably, like, way, way, way overstate uh, the value of that in in any individual game. Mm -hmm. Yes. Probably. I mean, at least in our heads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many innings do you guys think Shelby Miller will pitch in in this World Series? If you have to predict... Um, I'll say, I'll say three. I'll say, I'll say he gets some sort of tandem start sort of thing. Like maybe, maybe Kelly or Lynn struggles a little bit and, and he gets to be the piggyback guy. Yeah, I was going to say four and four and two thirds. I'll say four and two thirds. Is that four and two thirds in one outing or in two, two outings or two, two outings. outings? Yep. All right. And how many, how yeah, many innings do you think? Uh, I'm counting on a long series because I don't have a Halloween costume and need somewhere <laughs> to go on game seven night. Oh, that's a great um, excuse how, to get out of wearing a costume. Yeah, I'm always exactly. for an excuse. How many innings do you think that, um, that Clay Buckholtz will pitch in this World Series? It's a good question. I mean, I wrote in my, uh, my last piece on, uh, on the last game the Red Sox won is is what do you do with him? Uh, like if you see the way he's been struggling his third time through the order, if you're John Farrell, do you if he's thrown you know four scoreless innings and is is getting to the top of that rotation again, do you put in Ryan Dempster for two or three, or do you put in Brandon Workman for a couple innings? Do you take him out even though he's rolling just because he's sort of still not built up since the injury? So. If he starts a game three and a game seven, I'll I'll give him ten innings, but uh, I don't feel all that confident about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be probably in the same same range. Um, I there's so few moving parts really in these lineups. It's you know it, it's kind of there aren't really a whole lot of sit or start decisions that the managers have to make. There are a few. I mean, there's can Alan Craig, can he, is, is he healthy enough to, to DH and to pinch hit in the NL games? And it seems like he is. And, and that seems like a, a, a nice benefit for the Cardinals. They won't have to 
they won't have to lose a game with Adron Chambers pinch hitting, um, which is nice. And and when they go to the AL Park, they kind of have the they kind of have the advantage in this series interleague wise. It it seems in that the Red Sox have to give up either either Napoli or Ortiz when they go to the NL Park, and and I guess they could kind of take advantage of that if they if they were willing to pinch hit for Ortiz, they could. They could put in Napoli, who crushes lefties when when Matheny goes to to Chode or something. They they could do that conceivably, but they can't start both of those guys really because uh, Napoli hasn't caught all year and he has the hip thing. And then even if they have Ortiz in there, he's he's not a good defensive first baseman, so they lose something there. Whereas the Cardinals, assuming assuming Craig can can go and can DH, and assuming he's Alan Craig, which is kind of a big assumption, I, I suppose, in that he hasn't played for quite a while, assuming he's healthy even. Uh, he, he could be considerably, I mean, rusty at this point after this long a layoff, I would think. But but uh, if he's something like Alan Craig, then that seems like a, a big boost to them. Really, the, the only controversy, I, I guess you could call it, is, is sort of the, the Nava-Gomes left field platoon situation or no longer a, a platoon situation does have people when you were covering the ALCS games was that something that Farrell was asked about often it was something that everyone sort of got tired of asking about by about the second game yeah and I sort of got tired of hearing about it um I mean, I Nava. I find Nava to be a better hitter against right-hand pitching mm-hmm. uh John Farrell who got my unofficial vote for AL manager of the year, uh, says he took Gomes. He sort of goes back and forth on his reasons between intangibles, which, okay, and uh, also for base running and defense, which was the one that I found even a little stranger. Wait, 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 (laughs) Johnny Gomes defense? (laughs) Yeah, so Johnny Gomes is like a negative fifty <laughs> defender in the last three years. So I don't know. The then theories came up. You know, is Nava hurt and Farrell's covering for him? But but nobody nobody really thinks that's the case. So I I mean I think it's just this. He wants his veteran in there and and will sort of say anything when he's at the podium and you can't really listen to it. But uh, I just got tired of it by the end of the series, and uh, I think he is not optimizing his lineup. But it's sort of it. Be- it was the big issue the first few days, only because there were no real issues, right. and and now it's uh, it's just sort of run its course. There's there's only so many ways you can ask it. So uh, Gomes is kind of like a legend for how well he he handles he handles the media. I'm I'm curious how is. How has he diffused it? Have you have you have you noticed? I mean, he uh, he's been up on the podium, but it's not really a question for him. Um, he hasn't been asked directly. You know, why are you playing? He, I haven't heard him be asked any Nava questions. He's sort of that that go to guy that you guys always talk about to uh, address the team issues. You know, when the the team was down one nothing, I think he was the guy who came in and talked about you know we can't do anything different this is what worked for us for 162 yada 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 and he he's just that guy who is 
is the go-to for uh, for the big team questions. So I don't I don't think it's it's fair to. There's nothing he can really say about why are you playing, but um, he's uh, he's handled it well. And and weird stuff. There's just been weird stuff happening when he's been up and when he's been on the bases. And you know you you wanna you almost. If things go badly, it's easy to to second guess. But just enough things have gone well when he's in the game that you haven't been able to be really scathing about it afterward. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because he's it's not really a, a hot hand situation. He's not really no. hitting, which you can. No, it's not like the Delman Young. The other thing is the last series we all flipped out about Delman Young versus uh, I think it was Matt Joyce mm-hmm. and, and who was playing. And I know you guys discussed that on the podcast and, and I wrote about it on, uh, on unfiltered, but it's definitely not that situation. It's just, I think he just wants his veteran guy in there. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder whether, whether clubhouse chemistry works as well from the bench as it does from the field. You got to feel bad for Nava too. Who's 30. I mean, it's not like Nava is some like twenty-one-year-old rookie who's you know never been there before. I mean, he's worked his way up, right? I mean, he yeah. you could you could very easily imagine any other team where Daniel Nava is the inspirational guy that you got to get in the lineup. Yeah, he's the great guy anywhere, right? Unless yeah, he's exactly. Up against Johnny Gomes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Just a bad matchup for him. <laughs> <laughs> um. Do you put any stock in the idea that the Red Sox are this team that works the count and they wait for other teams to throw balls and then they get they get ahead in the count and then they they punish you when you have to come in or whatever it is and and the Cardinals just kind of throw strikes and don't walk anyone and that that I've seen the suggestion that that sort of takes something away from from the Red Sox approach they can't you know, wait and and exploit their mistakes like they could with a, a more wild team. Does, is that a factor? Does that... Yeah, I mean, the first half of it is sort of half of the believable part. I mean, we saw against Detroit that that they will be patient even against a, a guy who's throwing strikes. I think Scherzer in game two was the big example of the guy who just constantly got strike one because he wasn't getting any swings and he was getting called strike ones. And, uh, but it, it also, so, I mean, it works the other way too, that, that they get themselves behind in counts, mm-hmm. not just ahead in counts. And, and I think that, that it'll, it should help Wainwright unless, uh, Unless they adjust, but I, I don't see it as a sort of a team and, and staff wide staff wide issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and were you? How was how was Bogert's? I guess clubhouse wise, uh, because we we heard so much about how mature he is, and he he certainly looked unrattled and he's, patient when he was he up. Speaks, he, mm-hmm. he speaks four languages. Well, that's yeah, that's impressive. I, I, I just want to make. I mean, that's that's big. <laughs> yeah, languages. he's uh, he's terrific. I've uh, I've only interviewed him in one of those languages, but uh, the times that I've talked to him, he's been uh, been absolutely outstanding. I think he's liked by his teammates. Um, he is. He certainly 
if there's any nerves, it doesn't show up in his approach at the plate. Um, he's he's been their most patient guy. I think he has in in nine nine plate appearances last series. He had three doubles and three walks, including uh, that walk that set up the Victorino Grand Slam on a, a three two pitch that was awfully awfully close and uh, and definitely could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's. Uh, He's been sort of a delight. And, and I guess you talk about what the sit-start decisions are. I think that actually is a big one, is what you do with uh, with Bogarts. I mean, they were they, they had him on the bench for the beginning of the league championship series, and then they put him in. It was sort of this question, okay, they're going to put Bogarts in. Do you put him in for Drew or do you put him in for Middlebrooks? Because both have been struggling. And uh, and they put him in for Middlebrooks, and and I have to imagine that would continue, just because mm-hmm. I don't think they'll want to shake things up that much. But but you know, one bad game, and and that becomes a question again. Or if Middlebrooks has a, a hit off the bench, it becomes a question. So I actually think uh, left side of the infield, in addition to uh, to the Navagomes question, will be the the question for the Red Sox. Yeah, it sort of seemed like the it was going to be a Bogarts or Middlebrooks controversy, and Drew has sort of turned it into a Drew or Middlebrooks controversy at this point. I mean, doesn't Bogarts basically have to start just about every game at this point? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, I don't, I don't know if who would be the next guy down, but but I would have to imagine after these last two, Bogarts will be in there, and and I I figure they will start. I don't. I don't think he he revealed much more than his uh, his game one starting pitcher today, but uh, I would think uh, Bogarts would get the the first start and uh, and then it would be the the Drew and Bogarts left side until uh, until something happened. Does uh, does either of these bullpens strike you as as better? Because they are they've both been excellent. I think. Results-wise, I think the the Red Sox bullpen may have actually been a bit better uh, so far. Um, I mean, they've both been excellent, and it's really hard to to pick between these postseason bullpens because once you get to this point, you're basically only using your top, what, four guys maybe. I mean, if there's a blowout or something, the Dodgers will throw Carlos Marmol out there. But for the most part, when you're getting to the late innings and it's close, it's all about those last three, maybe four guys counting situational matchup types. And so far, both teams' bullpens have been pretty much unhittable. Does it does it strike you as an edge for either one? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say Boston slightly. It was sort of, it was sort of strange to see when uh, Franklin Morales came in the game the yeah. other day in a, in a big spot because it's just so foreign to the playoffs. And yeah. they had a lot of outs to get and they they wanted a lefty but uh we're so used to seeing breslow get a whole bunch of outs he's been just terrific and and tozawa has been really good setting up uh koji ohara um but uh you know i, I went back and listened to your uh koji koji ohara show from the off season today <laughs> uh-huh. I, I, went, I went back and found that you guys were good on that <laughs> how many minutes how many how many minutes long was the show 18 uh, yes, golden <laughs> yeah, days. Yeah, the old days, right? Well, that's the off season. It's coming back again, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe it'll happen again. Um, you said uh, you said that John Farrell is your got your unofficial vote for manager of the year. Can you uh, justify that vote for me? No, I mean, besides, absolutely, okay. absolutely not. <laughs> I absolutely can't. But Just no, as long as we're clear about yeah. that. 
I was thinking about this the other day. I, the manager of the year vote, which is so dumb. Uh, I would have probably picked... You know what's even dumber is having an unofficial one that doesn't actually even count. Well, my boss has made me do that. So uh, the I, I probably would have picked four American League managers before my I, I got to my first National League manager on the ballot. Uh, I picked Don Mattingly as my National League manager, and I didn't feel good about that. Uh, but I, I left Joe Madden off my American League ballot, and, and I'm a, a big Joe Madden fan. And I was just thinking the same way I might have picked four or five National League rookies who would have won the American League Rookie of the Year easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had it the opposite in Manager of the Year, and I have no idea why. <laughs> uh, like I don't think managerial talent is concentrated in the American League over the National League. It's just the 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 narratives I sort of drew for myself when I did this. And you'd also think uh, that managerial ability would have to be pretty consistent from year to year, right? Sure, so if you're a yeah. Joe Madden fan, he's 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 the same more or less the same Joe Madden, maybe with a less less inspiring story from this season to that season, but you know, he's probably doing mostly the same stuff. I was about four seconds away from giving Charlie Manuel a vote, because <laughs> I've always been a Charlie Manuel guy. I mean, <laughs> I think he's uh, terrific with hitters. I think he is good just letting his his players be who they are. Um, his his teams lead the league all the time in stolen base percentage, which I think is a big thing. He makes sure that his non-base stealers don't go. And I know he's he's had Davey Lopes before, and he's had good coaches there. But I don't th- like he got fired in the middle of the year this year. I don't think he was that much worse than he's ever been before. He's just had a terrible team. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I don't I don't like the award. Uh, so I don't. I just said that in passing, but I, I picked Farrell over Francona, Melvin, Madden would have probably been my top four. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he he's done fine. I, I think he is personable and all of that. I don't understand what he's doing in, in his outfield the last couple of series, but that's probably my biggest complaint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is there is there anything that you are planning to I don't know, to write about or to anyone you're planning to talk to or any storylines you you want to uncover while you're watching these games or you're just kind of planning on going and, and reacting to what happens? I think I'll probably react to what happens. I'm, I'm sort of excited to see what Media Day is about. I mean, <laughs> coming from uh, from Houston, I never really experienced anything <laughs> like this. And I it was Media Day Boston. whenever you were there. That was it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I moved to Boston uh, right around two months ago uh, and sort of just got thrown into all this and, and just got sort of lucky that, that this ended up being here. But um, I'll, I'll more react to what's going on. I'm, I'm going to go in with a, a couple of little thoughts, but I'm not going to analyze the Gomes-Nava decision every day, that's for sure. <laughs> just, I'll not be writing daily updates copy, on that. Copy and paste the, and just yeah. know, each day that that happens. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm really I, I'm amazed at how much really good writing comes out of this, both by people who have time to to sit back and and sort of take it in, both from the ballpark and from afar with uh, with screenshots and animations. Everything's been so good, and and the writing on the 
on the scene, some of the stuff after the Victorino home run the other day that, that some of the papers here did has just been really terrific. It's we laugh at sports writing a lot, but I, I think being being at these games has just made me appreciate how much good writing uh, we're getting in in 2013 and how many good places there are to go find it. Mm-hmm. And, and we're really lucky these days uh, to be able to, to have all of this. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Um, all right. Is there anything else we need to, to cover about this series? Does either of you want yeah. to make a pick? You can get. I'm looking at the odds still. You can get one to nine odds that the series won't be a sweep. Hmm. One to nine odds that it won't be a sweep. So it's 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 a uh, there's a it's a one in eight chance that it will be a sweep mathematically, right? If they're two evenly matched teams. If they are two evenly matched teams, right? It's one in eight that it will be a sweep. So so does that mean I should bet or I shouldn't bet? Uh. You probably shouldn't bet because they're only giving you like four and a half to one that it will be a sweep. They're they're figuring in a huge house edge. So yeah, I'm going to say you shouldn't bet. All right, all right. So I would but that's like the gen- that's the general rule is that you shouldn't bet. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's actually a really good point. Um, yeah, no, I I'm not going to make a prediction, but I'd like Zach to predict uh, who's going to win. <laughs> Uh, in how many games and what the score of each game will be? <laughs> you mean combined or like every game? Uh, every game, right? Uh, and in how many innings? <laughs> uh, you, well, you can just put that on that. You can do an unfiltered. Okay, I'll say Boston in seven, and uh, we'll talk about the rest. <laughs> okay, that's that's fine with me. All right, uh, so we don't know what we'll do tomorrow. Maybe we'll just do a regular email show. If you have if you have playoff questions, we'll probably give preference to those. So send us some at podcast at baseballprospectus.com, and we will be back tomorrow. Thank you, Zachary. Thank you.